I obviously want to have a successful career in music. I want to have bands. I want to have streams and everything. But when I zoom out and I see why I'm doing it, and it's not about that, then it just becomes a lot more of a joyful process of using the gift and creating to encourage people and to honor God with the gift He's given me by using it to my best of my ability. Hey friends, thanks for joining me for another great episode of the Holy Creativity Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Biedenbach, and I have the pleasure of introducing you to some incredible creators who operate best in that intersection where faith meets creativity. My hope is that these conversations would inspire you to explore that sacred space where your faith meets your inner creative to discover the unique ways in which you can positively impact the world around you. If you're interested in being a guest on this podcast, stick around and I'll have some information for you a little bit later in the episode. Today's guest is Keegan Farrell, a musician, singer, songwriter, and music producer who recently competed on NBC's The Voice, which aired in the spring of 2021. I've had the pleasure of knowing Keegan and his family for a long time and have really enjoyed watching his career take shape. He's a humble young man who says he's developed a deep sense of gratitude not only for the gifts and talents he's been given, but also for the ways in which he's able to use those gifts and talents to help others succeed. If you're a fan of Keegan's or know someone who is, show him some love and share this episode so others can hear his story. Now let's jump into today's conversation. Welcome back to the Holy Creativity Podcast. I'm here with my friend, local musician, Keegan Farrell. Keegan, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brian. Yeah, yeah, man. You may recognize Keegan from this past season of The Voice, NBC's The Voice. That was fun to watch. Uh, I enjoyed seeing you perform there. Keegan's actually done some worship leading for some conferences that I've been a part of planning and putting together. So he's now in Nashville. Is that correct? Yep. All right. So Keegan's in Nashville now. And uh, Keegan, tell us a little bit about what you're doing, what your life looks like right now. It's probably been a change since right. this last uh, this last season of being on The Voice. Yeah. And I mean, I've been in Nashville since 2018. So coming up on three years and my work there is a producer and songwriter and then artist. So I kind of try and do all, all the different parts of the industry there and help artists record their music and then also do my own stuff that I'm writing and producing. So, yeah. And you just had a song drop today, actually the day we're recording. I haven't had a chance to check it out yet. I've been busy recording podcasts, but tell us a little bit about that. What's that one about? Yeah, that song is called kick it on a Tuesday. And it's just kind of about enjoying time with somebody that you love. And so I put it out and it it went out at midnight. So it's fresh and I've been excited for that one to come out for a while. That's awesome. That's awesome. So by the time this episode of the podcast releases, hopefully people have had a chance to check that out. And if you haven't, do it now. Do Thank it you. now. Yeah. Do you have any new music coming out besides that? Um, I haven't chosen which song I want to put out next, but my goal is to be putting out a song every month just to kind of keep the stream of content going. Okay. Keep kicking the algorithm on Spotify and yeah. Apple Music. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Do you have a full-length album? I think you do. I do. already? Yeah. I put a song, an album out called Finer Things in yeah. 2018. So that's that's already up there, and yeah, I've got stuff that's going to keep coming out. So I'm okay. excited for that as well. Are you putting? Are you building an album now, or just releasing singles? Yeah, I'm c- kind of both. I'm going to be releasing, like I said, a single a month, and then eventually I'm just going to put them all together in an album. So okay, yeah, pretty sweet. When do you hope to release that? Um, well, I would I like to do it, have it be between ten and twelve songs. So if things go as planned with the song song every month, hopefully next year, basically a year from today, have all those twelve songs already be out of singles, and then just put them all together in an album, put that out. Nice. Nice. Cool. Well, um, 
tell us a little bit about kind of what that journey has been like for you that what took you to Nashville. You grew up here in Fort Wayne where we're recording this, but you've kind of moved all over the place, right? Since high school. So tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah, I've been really to several spots. Uh, I grew up here my whole life and, and I've always done music. And so when I got time to choosing college, I wanted to pursue a music degree. And so I went to Boston, uh, Massachusetts and studied at Berkeley College of Music mm-hmm. for a year. And that was great. You met a lot of amazing musicians and friends of mine that I keep in touch with to this day and grew a lot as a musician. And eventually I decided that um, I had kind of made the connections I wanted to make there and had a great time there. But I wanted to move on and get out into the actual industry. And yeah. so I decided to, that Nashville was the next move for me. Okay. And so I went there in 2018 and I've been there ever since. And it's been something that I've, I've loved being there because there's so many songwriters, so many people who are working in the industry, you know, in Nashville, the, the person waiting at your table, the person serving your coffee, they're probably a songwriter. And I think that's yeah. an environment that's great to be around all the people just there to do the same thing. That's pursue music. And so Nashville is an incredible city for that. And I've loved it. Yeah, it sounds like there's a whole community of people uh, trying to do the same thing and can help one another out. That's kind of a cool place to be. Was there talk of going to Los Angeles at one point? Yeah, after my time at Berkeley, when I was deciding what my next move was, I was I had it down between L.A. and Nashville. Okay, and uh, I just ended up going to Nashville because it's closer to home, and I have you know knew more people who have been down and done the Nashville thing, but yeah. that's where I went. But LA was it was an option at one point. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I remembered that. Yeah. As in one of our previous conversations. That's really cool. So um Keegan, I was to be honest, like I've known you for a long time. I was a youth pastor at the church that you grew up in, right? And when I discovered that you were a musician, I was quite honestly like <laughs> shocked. Yeah. Right? Like I was like, where did this come from? Right. This kind of came out of nowhere. But it probably didn't for you, yeah. right? So tell us a little bit about your journey of exploring this musical talent that you have. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I've had so many people tell me that when they first discovered I sang, they were shocked because yeah. I was all, and I still am, I've always been more of a quiet person, yeah. especially when I was in your youth group as a sixth grader. I yeah. probably said five words over yeah. here. So, <laughs> um, but I kind of have always been singing around the house. It was something that not a lot of people knew about and other than my parents. Yeah. And my parents signed me up for piano lessons when I was really young. Okay. And so most of my musical involvement from age seven to 13 or 14 was revolved around piano. Yeah. And so that's something that I took lessons and I studied and I hated for a really long time. But then eventually once I turned about 11 or 12, I started to realize that this is something that I really liked. And once I was 13 or 14, I was improvising, writing songs and playing with a band. That's when I fully embraced it as what I want to do the rest of my life. And that's also when I really started singing in front of people. Yeah. And I worked up the nerve to sing in front of people at a wedding reception okay. when I was 13. And ever since that day, I never really had the fear anymore of singing in front of people. And that's probably about the time that you discovered that I sang and yeah. you were probably shocked. And so yeah. from that day on, that's been something that I've been pursuing wholeheartedly. And I mean, it's, it's kind of everything that I've spent my time doing for the past, you know, now since I was seven years old, so 15 years. So. Yeah. Yeah. I just, you're right, man. I just remember this the shy, young teenage kid. Um, And then I heard you on stage and I was like, where did that voice (laughs) come from? Because that is not brand new. That's something he's been developing. Uh, And I was just blown away, man. So um, I just remember... You, we invited you and your your band to come and lead at these ministry leader youth ministry conferences, and man, I just I I was so impressed uh, just 
you, your presence on stage, like I said, and like you already alluded to, like I knew you as this young man, like <laughs> really shy kid and you just came alive yeah. on stage. And I went, man, this kid's going places and I, I'm really excited for him. So when I heard you were going to be on the voice this last season, I was like, it's about time. Like, this is great. This talent needs to be on display. Um, and so I'm glad you got to be a part of that. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what that journey was like for you. Man, it was, it's still crazy thinking about it. Sometimes I'll, I'll go back and watch my episode or clips on YouTube. Yeah. And not, not in any sort of narcissistic way, right. but just, just to appreciate and look at it and just realize how far I've come. And sometimes it's crazy to see myself on that show and think, holy crap, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> the, to think of all the the time I put into singing and practicing and playing all sorts of random things where nobody was listening to finally yeah. get to a stage like that was really affirming. And uh, the whole process was incredibly long. Uh, sure. we, we didn't air until March, but I had been talking to the people from The Voice from the previous March. So over a year long process of phone calls and interviews, mm. and eventually they decided that they wanted to have me come out to LA to do the blind audition. And then once you're out there, you're in a hotel for a month and a half and oh, you don't wow. even know if you're going to get to go or not. And then you get the nod that, Hey, you get to go on stage and perform in front of the coaches. And wow. obviously you don't know if you're going to get a chair turn or not. So the whole thing is very stressful because it's, it's based on a lot of uncertainty. You know, you don't know if you're going to get to audition. Then when you do, you don't know if they're going to turn their chairs and then you have the battle rounds, and the knockout rounds. But the whole thing was, I mean, it was overall just a great experience and the people made it the best part because every other contestant there was incredibly kind. There's not one person in the whole season that I didn't really, really enjoy being around. And yeah. so, cause they're all feeling that same pressure and same anxiety that you are too. Right. 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 Uh, so you kind of have this, I would imagine this camaraderie, like we're in this together and this kind of nerve wracking and it kind of sucks, yeah. but we're, we've got each other's backs. For sure. We bonded together, especially our season was COVID. So we yeah. were basically locked kind of like the NBA into a bubble where nobody gets in, nobody okay. gets out. So literally the only thing we could do was just enjoyed spending time together in the hotel, getting yeah. to know each other and supporting each other. And wow. I think our season was exceptionally close because of that reason. I would imagine so. Yeah. What was that moment like when you're on stage, blind auditions and you got, was it two, two chair right, turns, two, right? And yep. so you had to choose. What was that moment like? First of all, when the first one turned around, um, I didn't hear a, a, uh, waver in your voice like you were just steady but I would imagine there was a some sort of relief or something that you felt in that moment well the whole thing is they build it up in a way that makes you nervous already because I'm sure you've seen the Hunger Games it's it's basically like (laughs) musical Hunger Games because you're behind these two doors and they have this guy in the intercom that's going 30 seconds 10 seconds five seconds and then the doors open and you can just see the four chairs and they're like all right Go have fun. Good luck out there. <laughs> so you walk out and you're already up, uptight and nervous. And yeah. when I saw Kelly Clarkson's chair start to turn, I thought it would have the effect of, okay, I've, I've done the job. I can just chill out and do music now. Yeah. But I think I got so excited in the moment that it made it a little harder because my heart really? started beating faster. Uh, and I was just trying to keep it on the rails you know, because you want to <laughs> celebrate, but I still had a job to do. Yeah, you had so, to finish the song. Yeah, I kept it together. I looked calm on TV, but when I saw her chair start to turn out of my peripheral vision, I started to freak out but I had to keep it together (laughs) yeah and then Blake was the next one to turn his chair right 
Yeah, yeah. He, he had turned, and at that point, I was just incredible, incredibly happy to even have one of them turn. So yeah. when the second person turned, I was super excited to have that choice in front of me. Yeah, that's awesome. And then you went through a couple knockout rounds, right? I remember watching the one, I was at a friend's house in North Carolina, okay. and we were watching on their big screen TV, yeah. and we're like, I know that guy, yeah, let's that's cheer awesome. him on, right? And it was the one where you got knocked out, but then you took a step off the stage, yeah, and yeah. you were saved in this... Yeah look of relief came over you oh, yeah. and the rest of us too. Like, yeah. yes, he's yeah. still there. Yeah, he's still sure. got a chance. What was that like for you? That was crazy because they had told us uh, that when we took a step off the stage, that the steel buttons were deactivated. They said they wouldn't be working. Really? And so I think that was more, I don't think they were actually deactivated. I think they just told the coaches, you should probably try and hit it before they step off stage. Cause okay. I was two or three steps off the stage at that point. Yeah. So remembering what they had said, I figured, okay, it's done. done, you know, it's time to go home. And, uh, obviously I was disappointed. And then all of a sudden I heard that sound that they, that makes when they hit the button yeah. and I looked and I saw Nick standing up and I, I was just so happy to have <laughs> new life back in my lungs. And I got back on stage and it was, it was the best feeling ever, but definitely a little more uh, anxiety inducing than it would have been had I just won. But yeah, sure. <laughs> it made it more exciting for sure. So. Yeah. Did part of you, like part of me would be like disappointed, right? I didn't win the knockout round and I'd, I'd want to like take a half step off the stage and look and go, you know, yeah, yeah. are you sure? Are you yeah, sure? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely take your time walking down the stairs, yeah, give yeah. them time to think about it. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I, I'd love to see, I'd love to see that you were stolen that night yeah. and Nick took you and uh, you had another opportunity there. So um, what has been like, maybe just a random question. What have you gotten some recognition from the music industry beyond that, beyond like, friends and family and things that are like, Hey, Keegan, come perform for us. We'd love, you know, whatever. Have you gotten some recognition since then? Yeah. I think the biggest way that that's helped out is in Fort Wayne, just because the news outlets here were super great and kind about sharing me on the radio and, and, you know, on TV and everything. Mm -hmm. So after the show, I had a flood of opportunities from Fort Wayne whether it be I played at Three Rivers Festival or just a, a lot of things around town. I opened up a lot of performance opportunities here in town, which we have a great music scene. We have a lot of musicians, especially with Sweetwater yeah. always growing. People don't talk about it, but it's, it's incredibly underrated music scene. So that was something that I got from the show is just firm foot, firmer footing here in Fort Wayne as, a, as an artist and got a little more established that way, which I really appreciated. Yeah. And you have, you do music production too. And right. so I know we were talking before we press record how you've been able to even produce some of the, yeah. the songs and some of the music from some of your friends that you met on the show even too. Yeah. That's been great for sure. Cool opportunities there, man. I'm, I'm sure that life looks a little different yeah. for you since then, but you're mm-hmm. still the same humble guy that loves producing and creating and writing music. And, uh, so again, appreciate you taking your time and to come in and even share that part of your journey. Let's transition a little bit and talk about your faith story. Again, we've known you since you were a little kid, like young kid. We weren't super close then. I knew probably your older siblings, um, more than I knew you at the time, but, uh, we were part of the same church, know your family pretty well. Uh, give, give us a little bit of your faith story. Yeah, my uh, faith story, I mean, it starts really young with my adoption. Obviously, at the time I when I was adopted, I was six months, so I didn't understand the weight of what was happening, but that's always been a powerful testament to Christ in my life. Mm. Just coming from China and not having a family, being an orphan, and then being 
adopted into the family I have now that yeah. is an incredible family that all they've ever done is loving me and giving me opportunities and giving me everything I could ever want as a child and now as a young man. And so looking back at that whole ordeal has always showed me what Christ has done for us um, as believers. We, yeah. we were adopted into his family. And I think that's something that is really beautiful about ad- adoption. And I think that's... Um, an opportunity that people who are adopted, it's, it's a really unique thing that they have that helps them understand you know, the story of Christ in the church. And so for me, I think that's been the most powerful testament uh, in, my, in my life. And my parents have been a big part of that because they were obviously the ones that took the time and made the sacrifice to adopt me. Yeah. And so I started out with a, an incredible foundation in that. And then my parents were always just great about um, just... You know, I was always in church, and I think when I turned 17 or 18 is when I really started to take ownership of my faith, and yeah. that's when I started to lead a Bible study, And um, but I, I just have to give so much credit to my parents. Obviously, it's your own decision. You have to take it, you take ownership of it at some point, mm-hmm. but the way my parents have just given everything to me and been so sacri- sacrificial in their love through my adoption and just the way they raised me and the way they... Uh, just brought me up to love the Lord has, has been instrumental in everything I've ever done. So. Yeah. So that is a unique perspective that you have for sure of being adopted. And, you know, scripture even talks about us being adopted into the family of God. And now we're part of, we're, we're co-heirs with Christ of the kingdom. Right. And how fascinating that is and the, the weight of what that means um, and the perspective now that you have because of your adoption. Yeah. So you're 17, 18 years old. You talk about starting to take ownership of your faith. And that's about the time you were getting ready to leave home too yeah. and go to college. So, uh, and study music and music production and all that stuff. So what did that look like to carry your faith into kind of a new environment and going from Fort Wayne, where things feel pretty safe and secure right. for the most part to maybe a part of the country, the Northeast yeah. that you're just not familiar with. I don't know what to expect. What yeah. did that look like for and you? That's one of the biggest reasons I think I did start to take ownership of my faith because I realized that I was going to be stepping out from underneath my parents' wings and going to a part of the country that is completely different than here in the, you know, the Midwest. Yeah. Going to a music school, I figured that there would be a lot of people that weren't like-minded in their faith. And I saw that as an opportunity, but I knew that I was going to have to have actually taken time to get to know the Lord on my own. And I knew that I would have to be, um, you know, I'd be doing people a disservice if I just showed up and I hadn't actually taken time to grow in my faith yeah. and grow in my relationship with God, because I, I knew that I'd be presented with people who didn't know the gospel and it would be, you know, I'd be remiss to not share it with them because I hadn't prepared myself. Yeah. So that was something that I was, I tried to be as intentional as I could when I went to Berkeley and even Nashville is just finding community and finding people to pour into and then finding people who are going to pour into me as well. This is important to not only uh, have accountability, but have people who are going to be mentors and, and keep you accountable. And that was, that was big for me in Boston and still is in Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. So I, one of the things, one of the words I, I hear more and more these days is community and having a community of people. And I I think that's especially, I I hear it more and more in creative circles that I'm engaging with. So people who are, you know, musically inclined or artistically inclined or whatever, they talk about the community of people. So I'm part of a, uh, I've been doing some YouTube videos on my channel, Practically Biblical, and I got connected with some people and 
who are also doing similar content and they're building this online community yeah. of let's support one another. Let's encourage one another. And to me, I didn't know that even existed. Like in the YouTube space, like you do your own thing, you put yourself out there and then you move on to the next video. And so for me, that was kind of eye opening. Like there is a community of people that even though we live in different parts of the country and different parts of the world, we can still connect and want to support and challenge and help each other get better. So I love this idea of community that I think is, again, I hear it a lot more in creative circles, but I think it's bleeding into the rest of our culture that we need more of that. So you also talked about community, you know, at at Berkeley, you talked about community at The Voice, uh, you know, with the people that you were locked in hotel rooms with for a long time. What does community look like for you now in Nashville? Uh, I actually, some of my strongest community comes from my church and my roommates. My roommates are leaders at my church's youth group with me. So okay. my roommate, Aaron, we lead the ninth grade boys, okay. small group of uh, small group leaders, which is obviously a challenge. Uh, ninth grade <laughs> boys are crazy, yep. but they're totally paying me back for all the things that I did when I was in youth group. So there's a lot of times that I tell them to cut it out. And then there's this voice of conviction in my head, like you deserve this man. <laughs> yep, yep. So, and that's why you're probably one of the best youth workers <laughs> they have. Like those of us that cause trouble for our youth workers probably become yeah. the best ones because we know what to expect. Right. right. So that's one of the biggest things in my church in Nashville is great. Um, and yeah, my roommates, we, we keep each other accountable and um, that's probably my biggest source of community in Nashville from a faith standpoint. So you you lead the ninth grade boys. Yeah. Is there a sense to them that like, he's so cool. He's this <laughs> famous guy. Or they're like, he's just Keegan. He's our small group leader. I think a lot of them didn't know I was on the voice for a while. Okay. And then one of, one of them brought it up and they showed them the clip of me talking to Snoop Dogg. Okay. And they freaked out. <laughs> Dude, we didn't even know you sang. Because uh, that's something we just don't really talk about. I guess yeah. most of the focus is on them, their interests. Uh-huh. So I, I would say half of them knew. And then when the other half of them figured out that I was on The Voice, it was like the craziest thing in the world to them. Yeah. So. <laughs> so still don't, didn't gain more respect. Like, I'm going to sit and be quiet and listen to Keegan because he's <laughs> no, so cool. No, definitely not. Definitely not. That hasn't happened yet. No, so no. waiting on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, you'll wait a long time, my <laughs> yeah, friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially sure. with that age group. It'll yeah. come. Yeah. It'll come. But uh, you got to stick with it for a couple years. I just wanted to break in for a quick second to let you know this is the last episode of the season for the Holy Creativity Podcast. I know, I know, you're all sad to hear that, and honestly, so am I. So if you're enjoying what you're listening to and would like to see this project continue, please stick around to the end of the episode to hear about the ways you can be a part of making that happen as a promoter, a supporter, or even as a guest. This is only possible with the support of listeners like you, so thank you for being a part of this project. I'm looking forward to sharing more with you in the very near future. Don't forget to listen to the very end to find out how you can help. And now let's get back to the conversation. So let's talk about how uh, your faith, maybe even the adoption side of it. I don't know. Um, you can take this wherever you want to go. But how has your faith impacted your creative work and your music production and your music performance and maybe even the community of creative people that you spend time with? I think one of the biggest ways is it takes a lot of their pressure off of performing um, you know, especially as a musician, a lot of it can be kind of feels like a talent show almost. And you're always okay. comparing yourself and you're comparing the amount of streams you get and you're comparing the amount of fans or followers you have. And it can become really exhausting to be in that cycle of mm-hmm. just balancing your self-worth on all that sort of thing. And when you have the perspective of the fact that this is a gift that God's given me to 
cultivate and use for him, then it, it becomes a whole lot less pressure on yourself to perform. I obviously want to have a successful career in music. I want to have fans. I want to have streams and everything. But when I zoom out and I see why I'm doing it and it's not about that, then it just becomes a lot more of a joyful process of using the gift and creating to encourage people and to honor God with the gift he's given me by using it to my best of my ability. And I think it takes a lot of the pressure off myself to achieve um, as much as I want to, you know, that's just how I'm wired. That's how a lot of guys are wired. We want to, we want to achieve, we want to do something that people notice, but that can become a really consuming and toxic cycle to get Mm -hmm. in as a creative person, especially as a musician, when there's obviously so many talented people out there and it can be really easy to point at people and, you know, think, Oh, I'll never be as good as them or point at people and say, I'm so much better than them. And they're getting this and that, and I'm not, and that's just not a good place to be. And I think I've, you know, most musicians, including myself have been there. And when you get the perspective that this is for God's glory, not my own, it's a lot easier to escape that kind of pattern of thought. Some people call it imposter syndrome, right? Or this comparison trap of that you just mentioned that, you know, you look at other people and it's easy to say, I'm not on their level, but they're not on my level right. and whatever. Um, so that, self, that self-value and that self-worth yeah. you talk about, I think is really key. And it's something that I also have, you know, not at the same level for sure, but um, have wrestled with even creating podcasts and doing uh, you know, videos on YouTube is looking at other people and going, man, I wish I could do that. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the things that one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast in this way and have these conversations is to inspire people to consider how has God created you? How has God yeah. gifted you? Um, and the stories that I've been hearing from the people I've been interviewing as part of this have come to a point in their lives where they haven't avoided this imposter syndrome or this comparison trap, but they've come to a place where recognizing like, this is who I am. This is my gift. And this is how I can use this. And I think that that's something that we all need to discover, whether we are, you know, musicians or artists or accountants or, you know, salesmen or whatever, like, how am I different? And how has God created me that way? Why has he created me that way? And it's from that space, I think we can have the most impact in the world yeah, as we discover what it's like to be created in his image. So as you consider your faith and your songwriting and your music production and all that stuff, I think sometimes people confuse, like if I'm a Christian, I have to produce Christian content. Mm -hmm. So for you, what does that look like? Because I don't think that's always the case, right? Meaning Christian content, like it always has to be worship music or it always has to talk about Jesus or talk about God or talk about my faith. And I don't know that that's always the case. Like, I think we can have an impact in this world by using the gifts that God's given us in the ways that he's allowed us to that can make an impact. So for you, what does that look like? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a great question because I've, I've wrestled with that because my music that I put out isn't worship music and Mm -hmm. it doesn't talk about God or, and I've never really released a worship song or a Christian song necessarily. Uh, and that's, that's really something that I don't have a great answer for. I'm still trying to figure out is Mm -hmm. how can I give God glory with being a secular artist, secular producer? Um, I think one of the best ways that I've, I've found is production is a really interactive process. You're working really closely with the artist. And so that's something that I've really tried to do is when I'm working with an artist is just how can I love on them? How can I serve them? Because a lot of people who are producers, they kind of 
take more of the attitude of they're just a hired gun. So you pay them, they do the work, they get yeah. it to you and you never hear from them again. And it's my goal with production to, you know, be of service to the person and love on them in the best way that I can when we're just recording music together. So that's one way that I've kind of navigated that yeah. question, but I'm still figuring out what that means as far as an artist, how, how I can glorify God with the music I'm making. If it's not necessarily worship music or Christian music. So, yeah, no, that's good. I think that's something that we all probably need to continue to wrestle with. Like yeah. as soon as you think you have it figured out, there may be another turn in that journey. Right. right. But I think some of it comes down to what are you talking about? Like, what's the subject matter and how are you approaching? Even if it's, you know, you talk about your new song that just dropped today about spending time with someone you love. Like, what does that look like? How do you treat that person? How do you serve that person Um, versus what can you get from that person and how can they serve me? Like, there's a lot of music out there that's about that. What can I get? Yeah. So even flipping that script a little bit in your in your content and in your music and uh, talking about relationships and love and service. I think there's there's messages there. And I, I don't think there's clear lines between the the sacred and the secular that we sometimes right. draw in our upbringing and in our churches and stuff that I think God wants to be a part of everything that we do, right? And he wants to use our gifts and talents, not just in the church, but especially in dark places, right? And I think I'm guessing the music industry can be a pretty dark place yeah. at times. So the fact that you can use your gifts and your talents in that space to love and serve people. Yeah. I, th- I think that might be just how God made you. Yeah. Right. And, and, and put you there for that purpose. Does it go both ways for you? So meaning like the, the people that you interact with and the kind of content you produce and the projects you're a part of, does that influence or impact your faith in any way? I would say it does in the sense of gratitude because there's just a great feeling that when I'm working on a project in Nashville and say I'm recording an artist and I'm just having a great time Mm -hmm. or we get a song out and released for an artist and it just feels good to have a, have a job completed and to have supported myself doing something that I love. Yeah. You know, people in music, they always talk about that's great. You just got to find a way to be able to support yourself because it can be really tough. So, uh, being able to do that, I think has made me, feel just super blessed and grateful because that's something I've always wanted to be able to do is make a living as a musician and being able to do that the first time in my life it just makes me feel so much gratitude and there's been times that I've finished a project or I've been working with an artist and I've just thought in my head like God just thank you so much for giving me the ability to do this or thank you so much for having this artist put the faith in me to walk through my door and put their song in my hands and just feeling overwhelmingly grateful that I'm able to do that as a living I think that's the biggest the biggest way yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, what is one piece of advice that someone gave you early on in your career or you wish you would have heard sooner in your career? There's, there's something my dad's always told me, and it hasn't, there wasn't like a certain day he gave me this piece of advice. It's just something he's always kind of preached growing up, and that is just paying extra close attention to detail. When we were doing baseball stuff when I was growing up or when I'd be doing things for music, he would always just say, attention to detail, attention to detail. And when I was little, I just thought he was just saying that because it sounded cool or whatever. (laughs) But the older I've gotten, the more I realized how important that is, especially as a musician. It's all about the things that you can control. You know, you can't control if your song is going to blow up overnight. You can't control if you're going to get a chair turn on the voice or if you're going to win the knockout or whatever it may be, but you can control being on time. You can control how you treat people when you're producing. You can control if you 
you know, come prepared to things. And those are all things that my dad was really, really big on growing up. Whatever it was, it was just always about the little things and making sure my T's were crossed and my I's were dotted. Yeah. I thought it was annoying at the time, but (laughs) those are the little things that will separate people, especially in music industry where the uh, margin for error is so slim. It's just about being a person that basically has your stuff together. And uh, that's been important for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting too to hear you say that because I think that is things, those are things that are easy to overlook. Yeah. Like it sounds good enough. I'm going to put it out. Or if I tweak this little thing, like no one's, I can barely notice. Like as I'm even producing podcasts, I'm playing with the different frequencies, right? And I'm going, I can barely notice that until I train my ear enough and I'm like, oh, that makes a huge difference. Even that little detail. So even in the, the production side of it, for sure, but it, probably the character and the integrity side of your life as well, paying attention to those little things, I would imagine, has made a big difference and gotten you places. Yeah, and I've noticed that there aren't really, the, even the things that are really little, even if it is something that maybe nobody would notice, in making sure that they're 100% on point, you're kind of training that muscle of doing that for when the big things come that you're going you're gonna to still go the extra mile. I, I really don't think there's little tasks. I think everything, no matter how consequential it is in uh, its own context, it's still training that muscle of going the extra mile. Because when something really important or something that people really will notice comes across your table, you're going to have trained it in all the little things to be that type of person that's going to do everything you can to make it as good as you possibly can. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to throw you a curveball here for a second. If you're all right, just rolling with things here. So you're sitting in front of your ninth graders at your church, right? And they're struggling, right? Like ninth grade is a time where people are figuring out life, right? You know, you go through middle school and your friend groups typically have changed in seventh and eighth grade and you get to high school and you're trying out for teams and you're like trying out for show choirs and all this stuff. And maybe not you, but that's the time of life that think people get really anxious about things. So you're sitting in front of your ninth graders. What would you, what advice would you give them? Like as they try and discover more, cause I'm big on identity and purpose and trying to help young people discover who they are and how God made them. What does he have for them? Right? So as you've walked through that journey yourself, right? What would you tell a ninth grader who's trying to figure out who am I and what am I supposed to do with my life? Yeah, I would, I think the biggest thing is surrounding yourself with people who are going to encourage you to be the best version of yourself. Um, That was huge for me in high school. I had a really solid group of friends that all love the Lord. And so where a lot of people in high school, they spent time with people who were just kicking around, wasting time and you know, doing stuff they shouldn't, or not even doing stuff they shouldn't, just kind of squandering those four years. I was fortunate enough to surround myself with people who were also really eager to figure out what exactly it is we wanted to do, even if we didn't have it figured out. I was fortunate enough to figure out I like music really early, but I was around people who either had their thing figured out or they were eager to find out what that, that thing was. Yeah. And so being around people who were going to encourage me to push and strive and be better and learn. That was really important for me. So that's why I'm really thankful to see that sort of brotherhood starting to form with my ninth graders is because I know that they're going to need to rely on each other and need to be that voice in each other's lives that's encouraging them to make the most of these four years rather than kind of float through because they're really important four years and 
I made a lot of changes during those four years that have pushed me onto the trajectory I am right now. And I think it's a really, really important time to kind of figure those things out. And if you have people around you that are, think figuring things out like that are cool, yeah, uh, that's a good thing. Because a lot of people at that age, they, they don't think it's cool. Yeah. You know, but it, it really is. And it will be, especially down the road. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I wanted to ask that question because I think that's true in the rest of our lives too. I think those are powerful words. That's powerful advice for a ninth grade boy trying to figure out his life and his next four years before he goes away from home and to college. But kind of circling back to our conversation about community, I think that's it. Yeah. I think you discovered that in high school and it sounds like you're living it now. And I, I think having people around us that will always challenge us and will always encourage us to be the best version of ourselves that we can be is really valuable, not just for a ninth grader, but for all of us. How, what does that look like in your creative journey to surround yourself with people who are maybe in the same industry, but maybe aren't, but still want to come alongside Keegan and help Keegan be a better music producer, a better small group leader, a better musician? What does that look like for you currently? Yeah, I think all my friends and people I spend a lot of time with, they all share that kind of drive. And I don't, think it's something that's been intentional. I think it's just more subconscious that I've just naturally been drawn to people who are excited about what they're doing, who are excited about what I'm doing and are going to find a way for the both of us to encourage each other. And I have still amazing friends. A lot of them are the same ones from high school. And it's just because that's the type of person I'm drawn to is somebody that's going to be excited and going to be ready to encourage me in whatever way they can. And it's also going to be, you know, excited about something that they're doing. And I just have never really associated with people who haven't been excited about stuff because I just, I don't know, it's this energy that I've not really wanted to be around, yeah. to be honest. And, um, yeah, my, my friends are, are still those type of people. And I think they, they always will be, cause that's just kind of how I'm wired. And that's how my parents have always raised me is to whatever you are doing, be passionate about it. And they've obviously supported that with my music and they've done that for themselves. And that's something that I've watched them do when I've grown up and I've tried to emulate. So. Yeah. Well, Keegan, this has been a fun conversation for me just to hear kind of your journey of the last couple of years and how you've grown from the times that, you know, I knew you as a kid and to see you on the stage at the ministry leader conference, leading us in worship and being your crazy self on your keyboard. <laughs> like that was fantastic. But to see kind of the steps that you've taken that I think hearing you talk about paying attention to the details makes so much sense. It's, it's the little things that you've done in your life since, you know, your first piano lesson, <laughs> since paying attention to, you know, probably the, the things you're singing around the house. And are you hitting those notes even? You're probably yeah. not thinking about that as a kid, but <laughs> those things trained you, those little things trained you, and they've gotten you to the place that you are now. And I can't imagine your journey's done yet. I can't imagine that... Uh, you're going to just sit in Nashville and produce music with the people that you're producing music for currently. And yeah. that may be great. You're supporting yourself now, but I think there's probably bigger things out there for you, uh, whether it's on the stage, putting out albums or producing for, you know, bigger talent. I don't know what that looks like. As you look at kind of down the road for you, what's maybe your next step in your journey? Yeah, I, I want to be doing what I'm doing now, but just kind of like you said, just more of it on a bigger scale. Mm -hmm. I would love to be going on tour eventually. I kind of got to do a mini tour last month in Indiana, 
with some of the opportunities I got from The Voice, but I would love to be on a tour bus with a couple of my best buddies, Aaron and Ryan, who I play with frequently, yeah. just going around the country and playing my original stuff and having people actually listen and sing the words back. Because, you know, so many of the gigs I played now have just been sort of background music and up, up to this point in my life. And this past time home was one of the first times that all the shows I played at, people were there to actually listen and hear me sing and perform. Mm-hmm. And that was almost, like, intoxicating to hear. So, um that's a big goal of mine is to be on the road touring and then uh, still producing for, you know, whoever really wants to record the music. And if I listen to it and, and believe in it, I want to be a part of it. So yeah. that's the goal for me. That's awesome. Well, Keegan, like we've already mentioned, you just dropped a song today. You've got yeah. one song a month coming, hopefully for the next yeah. 10 to 12 months before you, an album is released. Where can people find your content? Where can people find you online? Yeah, the best place to find all that together is my website, which is just keeganfarrellmusic.com. And then from my website, you can hop over to really anything, YouTube or Instagram. And I've kept it consistent. It's Keegan Farrell Music everywhere you can find content. So that's where you can find my stuff for sure. All right, very good. We'll put all those links in the show notes if you're interested in checking Keegan out so you don't have to worry about spelling. Just scroll down to the show notes, click that link, and you can find all of his stuff. Keegan, it's been a pleasure, man, having you here in the studio, hearing your story. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, thank you for having me, Brian. It's been fun. enjoyed this conversation with Keegan, be sure to visit his website and check out all his new music as he releases it this year. Now this conversation wraps up the inaugural season of the Holy Creativity Podcast, but my hope is to continue to introduce you to many other fascinating individuals who have discovered ways to integrate their faith with all their creative pursuits. If you've been encouraged or inspired by any of these first five episodes and are interested in helping me continue this project, there are a couple ways that you can do so. The first is to simply leave a rating and review on whatever platform you may be listening on right now. Your ratings and reviews help others discover this podcast and benefit from the stories they contain. The second way you can help is by financially supporting the project. There's a link in the show notes where you can do so through a website called Buy Me a Coffee. It's safe and secure and your support will help me continue to bring on interesting guests and improve the audio quality and potentially even add a video option to the podcast. And some listeners may even be interested in coming on the podcast as a guest to talk about the ways you integrate your faith and your creativity. If you're a creator of any kind and willing to discuss the topics we address on this show, I'd invite you to complete the guest request form and let me know a little about yourself, your story, and where I can find you online. That'll do it for this episode of Holy Creativity. Thanks for listening and for all of your support. I hope to talk again real soon.